let's open up our Bibles uh, and let's dive into the Word of God together this morning. Let's dive into God's Word. Now, before we get to our portion of Scripture today, I want to start off by uh, seeing how many of you remember uh, really a story, um, an incident that occurred. Um, how many of you remember the shuttle Challenger from 1986? Okay, so a good portion of you um, had your hands raised. Awesome. So the shuttle Challenger uh, was a, a space launch that was set to happen in January of 1986. And this flight uh, was special, not just because uh, they were going into space or what they were going to do, but because of the makeup of the crew that was aboard that flight. There were six astronauts on that flight and a public school teacher was, was on that flight. How many of you remember that? All right. So her name was Krista McLiff, and, and she trained and was making the trip into space as a part of NASA's new Teacher in Space program. Now, one of the NASA technicians on the walkway as the team was boarding uh, that shuttle, uh, they offered the teacher a shiny red apple, and she said, save it for me, and I'm going to eat it when I get back from space. Now, at 11.38 on January 28th of 1986, the Challenger lifted off from the ground, and everything looked picture perfect at the start. But 73 seconds into that flight, without warning, the Challenger exploded, and all seven crew members lost their lives. What went wrong? Was it a major engineering failure? Was it sabotage? Was it a terrorist attack? These are all things that were listed initially, but all found out to not be true. When the investigation was over, the facts concluded that the Challenger exploded because of the failure of a single O-ring, a small rubber ring, a very small part especially in comparison to the size of this complex engineered machine. Sadly, though the risk of the O-ring failing was noted and recognized before the shuttle launched. The impact to the schedule and the cost to address it was, in their opinion, not significant enough to fix the O-ring. One engineer even said in his report, it is my honest and professional opinion and my great fear that if we do not take immediate action to resolve this issue, there will be a problem. We will be in jeopardy of losing the flight and along with it all of our billions of dollars that were invested. But the result, in my opinion, was more catastrophic to the highest order because there was the loss of life. The warnings were there from the experts. And the lesson, it did not matter if all the major parts were working perfectly. Not recognizing the significance of a very small part incurred disaster. Today, here in church, we're going to be looking at a very, very small part of you and I, the tongue. It's a part of the body that is a small muscle with no bones, and it's fully contained within the mouth. And my question to us before we dive in is, do we need to take our tongue seriously? Are there warnings here in Scripture that we need to heed? 
So let's look real quick. There's going to be a few verses that hit the screen for you to kind of kick us off today before we dive in. The first one is a verse that I've probably heard a million times in my life from my parents, from my Sunday school teachers, from pastors in my childhood. And it was this, Proverbs 18.21, one that we are familiar with. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. How many of you recognize or have heard that verse before in any context? All three of you. Great. We're off to a great start. What about this one? Proverbs 20, uh, 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth works ruin. Man, another verse that's somewhat scary in reading, but in the context of that bigger picture, I would challenge and encourage you to go back and read that chapter and see what the writer of Proverbs was talking about. What about David? In Psalm chapter 5, verse 9, where he says, There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. Another scary verse in, in light of and in context of what we will be talking about. Now, we are continuing on today in our series, Roots. Uh, this has been a study that we've been walking through as much of James uh, over the last, this is week five, so this is, this is five weeks of studying out the book of James so far, and we have many more weeks to go. Who's excited about that? We, we began looking in this series in the book of James about how we grow in response to our trials. In week number two, we talked about how we grow in response to temptation. Week number three, we looked at how we grow in, re, in being obedient to the word of God. And then last week, we talked about how we grow in living out our faith. And if you have missed any one of these sermons, I would challenge you to go back and listen to them online. Go back and listen to them, especially last week's. We covered one of the most controversial topics in churches all around the world, faith versus works. And so if you missed it, go back and check it out. But today, I want us to continue forward into James chapter 3 so that we can look at how James takes this discussion from showing that works that characterize a saving faith are now a very specific one and become very, very clear for us that it's not just our actions that show that we are a Christian, it's our words as well. It's our words as well. So today I want us to focus on my one, one of my most challenging topics, I believe, this year so far, and that's growing in our communication with one another. Growing in our communication with one another. How many of you would, uh, all for honesty in church, would raise your hand and say that you struggle at times communicating with other people? Everybody's hands, don't be pious in here this morning. Everybody, everybody's hands should be raised, right? So I want us to turn in our Bibles to James chapter 3 if you're not there. And we're going to kick off by reading the first 12 verses here. And it says, not many of you, this is a great way to start a chapter by the way. Not many of you should become teachers. James has a sense of humor, it's okay. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Verse 4, look at that ship 
look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But it will bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, and these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine bear, or produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you. Right now, Lord, and, and we've heard a, an impactful 12 verses here in this portion of Scripture. And we, Lord, are asking that you would teach us what we need to know here today about taming the tongue. Lord, show us your power in our lives as we begin to live lives that are bridled, ones that show restraint yet still bring the purity of truth forth from our lives. And ask, Lord, now that we would glorify you uh, in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. So today I want us to look at three truths about speech and how we communicate with one another. And right out of the gate, I want us to recognize the first thing. We must recognize the power of our speech because our speech powerfully influences others. Our speech powerfully influences others. Your speech, in my opinion, and what the Bible says is very powerful. What we say is powerful and it has great impacts on other people. That is why James starts out chapter 3 by calling out teachers. He calls out teachers because of the impact of their speech. Look back with me at verse number 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, Yeah, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. You know, it's a sobering thing to teach on this passage about the warning of teaching. Sobering to me as a pastor. But the overall point is that, uh, and I want to really drive this home for us, especially those uh, of you who know, I push discipleship hard here in our church. And in the future, I could see our church uh, becoming a church that is very much discipleship focused as we should be. We are to produce other disciples in the process of following Jesus. But this here uh, is oftentimes taken out of context in church circles. People say, the, they see the word teacher and they automatically say, well, I'm exempt because I'm not a pastor. I'm exempt because I'm not a theology professor. I'm exempt because I don't teach a class about something to do with the Bible. Well, the Greek word here for teacher is anyone who instructs. Anyone who instructs. Diakosius is the name. 
anyone who instructs. So if you are in this room and you have instructed somebody else in anything to do uh, with a biblical context or the truth of God's word, that's exactly what he's talking about. The, the teacher will, will receive a stricter judgment to ensure that you've upheld the standard of holiness in the Bible. And so the overall point here that James is attempting to make is that when we speak one-on-one, -on -one, we have a great power and influence over the individual with, that we are speaking to. Amen, church? But when you teach in a group setting, the power to influence exponentially increases based on the additional people that are sitting in that room and also on how they will use their speech then to influence other people. Now, um, the influence that people have on others can be good. Would you agree with me? It, it can be good. The influence that we have on other people's when we speak truth. But it is a powerful warning that James gives to us here that not everyone should instruct others in the ways of the Bible. Now, real quick, please do not go home and say, Pastor said that we shouldn't tell people about God's word. That's not what I said. I said some of us in the Christian circle should not instruct. He didn't say ever instruct. He just said instruct, which could be a portion of time. Maybe I'm not ready to disciple another individual. Maybe I'm not ready to invest in the little blessings downstairs on Sunday. Maybe I'm not ready to work with our teens. That's okay. But maybe there are some who are not ready to instruct others in biblical wisdom. Now, those who influence a lot of people unwisely and unbiblically will incur a stricter judgment. That's a scary place to be at as a believer. And so James sets the tone of this entire chapter by starting off with those who instruct others will incur a stricter judgment in the, in the end when we're standing before Jesus Christ. And in fact, our speech is so powerful because our speech powerfully directs life. It powerfully directs life. James focuses here on how our tongue and our speech can steer us. Look back with me at verse number three. If you put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me how a foolish word can totally set your entire day in a different direction. Would you guys agree with me? You know, maybe, maybe you spoke or you received the unkind words of your spouse in the morning. And you began to feel guilty about it. And then you began to justify in your head what you said. Anybody ever been in that place before? You begin to justify what you said in your mind. And then you begin to defend yourself in your thoughts. Well, I said this because of this and because of that. And, right? We've all been there before. And you become in that thought process more and more self-focused when you're thinking that way. And then your kids do something to you or they do something wrong as you're about to walk out of the door and then what happens but you snap just like that at one of your children. And then you walk out and you begin to cycle the whole process all over again. 
You begin to justify. You begin to say, oh, I did this because of this. And then what happens? You become more and more self-focused. And then you show up to work. And your coworker asks you a simple question uh, about something pertaining to the work and you take it as a personal attack and you begin to blame shift and blame shift and you begin to attack and your speech has directed your life to become more and more centered around you. And it just directed your course. And so James is like, I want you to think about the horse. I want you to think for just a moment that with a bridle we can take this powerful animal that can run faster than we can imagine with muscle on top of muscle and this little itty bitty bit directs all that power. And then he brings up this huge ship and a a small rudder. You know, I had a, a pastor friend of mine in Florida. His name was Randall Sutton and he was a, a retired submarine captain. And the the submarine that he was on was larger than a four-story building, longer than two football, the six, like you're talking over 200 yards, 600 feet of ship that weighed more than 18,000 tons. And he used to tell us stories all the time about how uh, on the ship you, you thought you were going faster than you were, but it only got up to 30 miles an hour which is really slow if you think about it. It only gets up to 30 miles an hour. And he told us that 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 specific submarine that he was on was led by a man who would steer that ship. And the rudder was only 20 feet compared to 600 feet. 20 feet. Something so small was so impactful on something so great. And if if we're going to evaluate the Christian life and the essentials of growing as Christians and we don't factor in the tongue, if we don't factor in the speech, if we don't factor in how we talk and communicate with people, we have a huge issue. Would you agree with me, church? We have a huge issue. Why? Because the tongue directs the whole life. It directs all of it. And so the tongue does not automatically direct us to wonderful locations, does it, church? It doesn't automatically take us to the places of all niceties in our conversation. The autopilot of our tongue is going to naturally take us off a cliff. It's going to naturally run us into the iceberg. Your speech can cause destructive effects. Look now at verse number five. James says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire an entire course Sorry, the whole entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Set on fire by hell. You know, uh, James focuses on how comprehensive of an impact the tongue has on the body. He says the world of unrighteousness, the entire body, the whole course of life. We are to think about the massive effects of what we say to our spouse to our kids, to our coworkers, to our friends and our family. You know, my 
My wife's family um, emigrated here from um, El Salvador uh, probably 50 years ago. And when, when they came here, um, my, my in-laws, so my mother-in-law and her two siblings and their parents, they came and they, they landed in Pacifica, California. And, and through that process, they moved to Florida. That's how I met my wife. But they still have a good portion of their family that lives out in Northern California still to this day. Uh, people that we've been in contact with, or at least that I've gotten to know over the last 16 and a half years of being with my wife. And uh, she, has, she has family that lives there. And I've learned over that amount of time uh, that um, California sees some of the most unbelievably destructive wildfires uh, compared to anywhere else in the United States, but even globally. Um, and they start off mo- most oftentimes by a small little spark or, or an, an electrical malfunction or, or there was a campfire that wasn't quite put out or it's just been extremely dry. And a few years ago, I'm, I'm sure any of you who've watched the news uh, would remember uh, back in 20, I believe it was 2020, um, California experienced the deadliest wildfire that they had since 1918. And it started with a power line malfunction and it spread so quickly and the winds ravaged 153,000 acres of Northern California. It was just destroyed. The fire killed 85 people and destroyed 14,000 homes, and it took 17 days to consume that fire. And by the grace of God, and with the help of a 1,000 firefighters, in three straight days of rain, they were able to contain the fire and get it put out completely. But in the loss of life, and the, and the destruction that it came, there were 300 people that were unaccounted for in that event. Man, James said, how great a fire is set aflame by just a small, just a small fire. It defiles the whole body. It defiles the whole thing. It affects your whole life. And James says that it is like hell itself that is consuming you. It's like hell itself is consuming you. And that's how God wants us to think about the destructive power of what we say to other people. It's like hell, eternal death. Could you go ahead and pull up that next verse for me? I want to go back. I want to go back to this verse that we we looked at at the very beginning. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I want you to just leave that on the screen for just a moment. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That would be a great place for us to memorize the first portion of this verse. This first portion of this verse is one that I believe that every Christian should have tattooed on their hearts and minds. One that they never forget, especially when they're walking into a conflict, a known conflict. Death and life are in the power of my tongue right now in this conversation. Spouses, marriages, those of you who are married in here, I want you to look up here for just a moment. The next time that you and your spouse have a disagreement, think to yourself, death and life are in the power of my tongue right now. 
What I say can either bring life into our marriage or what I say can bring death. Next time you have to reprimand one of your children or your grandchildren, think death and life are in the power of of my tongue. Right now I can build this child up or I can tear them down. Next time you have to confront somebody who did something against, think to yourself, death and life are in the power of my tongue. If we're going to ever grow and change as a body, it starts with understanding that we can create massive damage and hurt with our words. Solomon said just a few chapters earlier in Proverbs 16, he says that a worthless man digs up evil while his words are scorching fire. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like scorching fire. How many of you ever experienced uh, this? I've, I've experienced this multiple times in my life where someone will say something to you and then they just pretend like they didn't say it. Anybody ever been in that place before? Like, like they'll just quickly change the subject or then they'll, they'll try to be nice to you and they pretend that it didn't happen or they say something like, oh, I didn't really mean what I said. I didn't, I didn't really mean that. And if we are to grow, we must admit the immensity of a problem that started from what we said to one another. It started there. And think about the small words that you said to your spouse or your kids or your friends this week that were meant to destroy them. Like, have you ignored the wildfires in your life? Have you let the wildfires grow in your life? Or are you seeking to stamp them out at the very source because you recognize how big of a deal my words are to somebody else? Now, we see how big of an issue this is. But the last thing I want you to to do is to try to be the hero. You can't run into the California wildfires with a squirt gun and hope to overcome it. James is telling the believer, recognize the immensity of the problem. Recognize that you have a responsibility, church, but recognize that you are not the ultimate solution to that problem. Amen? You, I want you to say it with me. We are not the solution. We're not. We are not the solution to the problem, but to grow, we must be humble about it. So the second thing I want us to see is to acknowledge our inability to tame our own tongue. We must acknowledge our inability to tame our own tongue. Look back at verse number seven after you're done writing. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of a deadly poison. And let's just stop there for a moment. We can control all sorts of wild animals. We can domesticate them. We can train them. And in fact, here in our country alone, we train dolphins and sea lions to protect harbors and to do tricks. We train elephants to move heavy objects. We train tigers and lions and bears. Oh my. We train animals. You know, I watched in our youth group 
uh, in Florida probably about two and a half or three years ago. We watched a video of a Japanese man who trained houseflies to roll over and spin little balls on their legs. I was flabbergasted the first time I saw the video. But then I thought to myself, if you can train a fly, you could train anything. If you could train a fly, you can train anything. And it could be really tempting to be sitting in here right now and be thinking to yourself, well, this tongue thing is pretty serious. I just need to train myself to never say anything mean. I just need to train myself to never say anything hurtful or manipulative to someone ever again. But James is saying, Christian, that's not going to work. That's not going to work, Christian. That's not going to work, church. No one can tame the tongue. Why? Because it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But, but what if, pastor, what if I got a shock collar and I shocked myself every single time I said something negative to somebody else. What then? Or what, what if we take it the right positive reinforcement? What if I give myself an Oreo every time I say something nice? That's the mentality that so many people in the Christian circle take. And James is saying, no, Christian, you will not control your speech. Why? Because at that time, you're not taking into consideration your heart. You're not taking into consideration the things that you love and how the mouth will always speak from that which fills the heart, always. And there's evil and deadly poison inside of you is what James says. And now I just, I just because we can't tame the tongue, no, I want us to just stop for a moment. Just because we can't tame the tongue does not mean that we're released from the responsibility of addressing the issue. Amen? Just because you can't tame it. In fact, James said in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. We have to address the issue of the heart. We're called to bridle. We're called to tame the tongue, not by ourselves. It's, it starts with admitting there is a problem. And man-made religion that does not get to the heart is worthless. Church, I, 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 want to, I want to say something to you very hard, but very strong this morning. If you yelled at your children this morning before you came to church, your religion is worthless. If you prayed over dinner last night and then you chastised your spouse for all of their failures in that day, your religion is worthless. If you have a Bible verse that you post all over social media and then in the very next breath you're arguing with somebody over social media, not face-to-face, -face, about something that is completely irrelevant and pointless, your religion is worthless. That's not me. That's exactly what James said. If you pretend over here and then over here your actions speak something different, your religion is worthless. In fact, we have to recognize that man-centered solutions just, just bring about pharisaical behavior. It just brings about the mentality that I'm self-righteous and I'm better than you, but I'm never going to address the issue right here. Church, we need a Messiah 
Amen? We need a Messiah to come to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for the sins of my mouth and yours. We need a Messiah. And that's exactly what Christ came to do. He came to die on the cross to pay for the sins, the restless evil and the deadly poison that is in every created human. And so that problem within us, it directs us to Christ. It directs us to Christ, amen? Only Christ can tame the tongue of man. Look back with me at verse number nine. He says, with it, speaking of our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. In our inability to control our tongue, it should help us to see our need for someone who can. Christ's ability to control his tongue and obey the Father perfectly shows, off, uh, shows each one of us of his ability to fulfill our need. That's exactly what he did. In fact, Peter, before he died, said that Jesus committed no sin, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. It said that while he suffered, he uttered no threat, but he kept entrusting God to him who judges righteously. To him who judges righteously. You know, Jesus never sinned with his mouth, which is why he was able to pay for the sins of ours. James says that we can't bless God and curse men out of the same mouth. We, we, we need to see that our heart must change so that we see people as God sees them, as God created them. And when we sin against people, we're not just sinning against that person. We're offending a holy God. We're offending a holy God with the things that we say. And we need a Savior. We need forgiveness from that Savior so that we can live a right life. We need a new heart that the tongue can, the tongue can be tamed and we can bless God and bless people who are made in the image of God. Church, taming the tongue requires a change of heart. Taming the tongue requires a change of heart. Look back at verse number 11. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is saying if you do not change what you love and what you worship you won't at the last second speak in a way that communicates a love for God. You won't. A worshipful attitude towards God comes when we have fully submitted and surrendered to his will for our lives. I believe Jesus said it well in Matthew chapter 12. It's going to hit the screen for you guys. It's going to say this. It says, either make the either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He's speaking to the Pharisees here. And he says, you brood of vipers. 
How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. Amen, church? But the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every church, this is a warning here from Jesus Christ. I tell you that every careless word that you speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Don't miss us, church. For by it, your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So I have a question as we begin to navigate and land this, this plane. Where is your treasure this morning? What do you love this morning? You and I can't speak words of kindness consistently and over time and through trials without a heart that treasures God all the time. James wants his readers he wants us to know that in order to endure, that we have to have a life that lives out faith, not just by our works, but also by our speech, by the things that we say. He wants them to see that their words reveal what is inside of them. And he wants us to respond in a way that's not just religious. He wants us to respond in a relational way to God that's not worthless. Is God so a part of your life that it permeates out of every aspect and element of who you are? Are you so involved and in love with God that it comes out every single time a word comes from your mouth? Did your words reveal to you in your last argument and fight what you treasure most? Did your words reveal to you in your, your last unkind statement who your God truly is? Because we will give an account for every careless word. Every careless word. And, and to be honest with you, church, this morning, that should be a very sobering thought. In fact, church, it should drive us to our knees to ask God to please tame my tongue. It should drive us to the cross, to the perfect Savior who never gave in to sin. The one who stands ready to save and sanctify. Jesus said in John chapter 7 that from the, the man who believes in him, according to scripture, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So if we're here today and we believe in Jesus Christ, if we've been saved, the way that we speak should be characterized by rivers of living water. It should be refreshing to the ears of the people around you. It should be life-giving truth that flows from our lips. Why? Because it's flooded our heart. James is speaking directly to us in this place this morning and, and he doesn't pull any punches and he's very, very, very direct and he says church faith without works is dead and that should have gotten our attention. But then he said faith also brings about life-giving words. 
And that should also get our attention. Two weeks back to back, he hit us hard with things that should be a part of who we are. And so living out our faith should come with multiple blessings. Church, would you agree with that? Living out our faith should come with multiple blessings. Why? Because when we treasure the Lord and we speak accordingly, it's delightful. It's delightful. And so real quick, the last thing I want us to see this morning is that we should delight in the blessings of growing in our communication. We should delight in the blessings of growing in our communication. You know, when we, when we through our relationship with, with Christ bridle the tongue, there is great blessing in our own life. I want you to look back real quick at verse number two. He says, for we all stumble in many ways, but if he does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body, his whole body. If, if you and I develop a maturity in this life, you become what the Bible says is a perfect man, not sinless. This is an example of a word that would be a perfect reflection of Christ to somebody else. Meaning that you're still sinful, but your natural inclination is to honor God first and not self, is what James is saying. And so someone who is growing, someone who takes the word of God and, and takes it seriously and connects to every moment of their life, he says that man will have self-control how many of you would raise your hand this morning and admit, I struggle with self-control? James is saying this man, the mature man, is able to have self-control. And scripture says that if you're able to bridle your tongue, you can bridle your whole body. Being careful how we speak can, can translate in multiple ways. Being careful how we speak can translate to being careful at what you look at. Being careful in how you speak can translate and being careful in how you spend your money. Be careful in what you speak can translate into how you steward your body carefully. It affects every single other piece of you. Remember church, Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's one more verse I want to hit the screen this morning, and it's Proverbs 10, 20, and 21. It says that the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. But fools die. The lips of the righteous feed many. You are to give nourishment to other people with your lips, especially when you're speaking the word of God. It should bring comfort and build up and encourage one another. And I, I want to just take a moment to challenge you with this as we close. I want our church to be characterized by that very thought. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The one who brings encouragement the one who builds up, the one who speaks truth. We are to be a people who are growing in the way that we communicate with everybody else around us. And so I want to challenge you this morning with something. Something that I've never asked of you to do in the past. Each Sunday, we are to build each other up when we're in our presence. And so I want to challenge you starting right now 
And I've taken this challenge on. I've told my wife the same thing. She's talking to our children downstairs. The children that are down there right now, she's telling them the exact same thing as I am. I want to challenge us as a church that each Sunday that you walk in this building, I want you to go and say one biblically encouraging thing to another person. I want you to go and say it. The moment that you walk in, I want you to find somebody here in the church and I want you to encourage that person. And I'm not, I'm not talking about being fake. Okay? I'm talking about something genuine. This, this is not like, hey, I'm a prophet and Jesus told me to tell you this time. This is take the word of God and encourage your brother and sister in Christ. Every Sunday, we should be intentional this is not natural for us. That's why I'm challenging us as a church to do it. It's not natural. In fact, we naturally tend to destroy with our tongue. And we need to grow by using self-control and doing the opposite. I used to tell our teenagers all the time, if you're labeled a liar, you're not, you're not stopped being labeled a liar just because you stop lying. You have to stop lying and start telling the truth. If you're a thief... You're still a thief, even if you don't steal anymore, until you start giving, because you've reversed the pattern in your life. You're now bringing life instead of death in your path. And so for us, in order to, to obtain self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to stop using our tongues for destruction, start using them for edification. Amen, church? Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth. Let no unwholesome talk proceed from your mouth. So I want to I challenge you with one more thing that doesn't deal right here in this building. How many of you are married in this room? How many of you have kids or grandkids in this room? I want to challenge you that for the next seven days of time, that every morning before your feet hit the floor, that you have sought the power of the Holy Spirit to keep your tongue tame with your spouse, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your unruly neighbor, with the annoying friend. I challenge you and do the same thing. Whenever you have the opportunity, speak life. Speak life. And I, I pray, pray that we take it seriously. I pray that we as a people would be serious about being life givers instead of destruction makers. About being life givers. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you in this place, Lord, and we thank you for the hard truths of your word that give us not only encouragement, but also challenge us to grow and change, Lord. And so I'm asking now that the Holy Spirit would give us power, each one of us individually, that we would have the power, Lord, to speak life instead of destruction that we would be a church that brings life because of our speech patterns. And God, that we would rely solely upon you. We know we can't do this. Lord, your word tells us we can't do this. And so I pray, Lord, that you would impress upon us to seek wisdom, 
to seek your truth and to have our minds and our, our thoughts and our actions, Lord, set on the foundation of your word. God, give us strength. Give us divine appointments to encourage people and to build people up this week. And I ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen and amen.